Welcome to Scholars and Sense. It's the podcast that takes a deep dive into the issues of the day. We do so with thoughtful conversation, and we rise above the noise and talking points. With the help of my colleagues, we get to the heart of the matter. I'm Bill Bennett, alongside my co-hosts, Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Conrad, Victor, let's jump in. I want to get some sense of the year. Conrad, the year 2021, a short paragraph, and then we'll all elaborate, please. Right. Well, I I think for our purposes, it's the Biden year. It's almost the whole year has been uh, his administration. And uh, while it's no joy to me to say this, I think his administration has been very unsuccessful in every field, the economy, immigration, COVID, foreign policy, uh, the debacle of Afghanistan, crime rates, and so forth. And it's just been a uniformly bad year. And the result of it politically is all those who were rejoicing a year ago at at evicting Trump are are starting to realize that in all likelihood, as things now stand, they are setting the conditions in place for him to return. And uh, it's it's not been a good year for the United States or the Western alliance, but but it's but it's been an extraordinary year politically for the reason I said, I believe. I agree with Conrad on all of his points. I think one way of looking at 2021 vis-a-vis 2022, the next and upcoming year, is that there's a lot of untruth out there. And by untruth, I mean, there's a reality that everybody's experiencing and they're afraid to articulate it or to be open about it. And I think it's going to mount, that repression is going to mount to such a degree that it's going to explode, I hope, peacefully in 2022. And by that, I mean, we have never had a president that voluntarily, uh, other than Nixon, who was facing supposed impeachment, that has to be removed or will resign. And I think the pressure will not come from the right. It's going to come from the left because Joe Biden is declining geometrically, not arithmetically. The second thing is, I think there's going to be a lot of candid talk about crime because it's starting here in California. There's a rush on guns in Beverly Hills. It's hitting Malibu, Walnut Creek. As long as it was in Bakersfield or Fresno or nobody cared. But when it hits these Tony areas and they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of discussion on uh, defunding the police, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think you're seeing it across the spectrum from African-Americans to Latinos to whites. It's not a racial thing. It's just people understand that it can't go on like it is uh, with these district attorneys letting people out. I think also the idea that we all hoped, and I'm speaking to someone that was vaccinated like you guys, and then also had COVID, a breakthrough case. I don't think the promise we were told and weren't afraid to say it, that Fauci said the vaccinations would end COVID and Obama, um, Biden predicated his presidency on that uh, assumption that's not on that's not true you may be it ameliorates the severe effects but for now the vaccination is not the way to end entirely covid if you can end it and then finally it's not sustainable and everybody's going to start talking about it more to ask marines Ten thousand marines may have to leave the service many of them have had covid with antibodies because they're not going to be vaccinated same is true of federal workers and then to leave the border wide open and not ask people who are not U.S. citizens to be vaccinated. That's untenable. It's interesting. It's so bad that I previewed this by talking to just, you know, a handful, two handfuls of people. What's the worst thing about 2021? And the interesting thing is how many different answers we got. There's so many candidates. Afghanistan, uh, the border, which you just mentioned. Crime, which you mentioned. Um, The whole COVID mess, lie, untruth, and other matters, inflation, and so on. There's so many things from which to choose. And that's an unfortunate, very unfortunate situation. I, I guess my summary is it was almost a complete 180, wasn't it, from Trump to Biden. And and this wasn't the Biden, was it, who was advertised? Wasn't he advertised as a kind of moderate Democrat? Yes. Yeah, not the Bernie Sanders uh, Democrat, but he's turned out to be the Bernie Sanders Democrat. So many things have have gone wrong. Let's just pick up on one piece of what Victor said, if we can. Do you think there will be pressure for him to be removed? I think I think there is already. And does that mean Kamala Harris will become president? Well, I think it depends on uh, the level of cognitive difficulties he's having when he says, "Let's go, Brandon." Yeah, and he's oblivious yeah. to that, or he's on his thirtieth vacation at the beach. And when he does a press conference, he says crazy things. And his his Christmas message was almost insulting. So I think people in that party 
are going to say to him, you're going to destroy us in the midterms and you, and we, we can do all we can to help you. We can, you know, we can beat the dead horse of Trump and January 6th and 2024 is the end of democracy and we, we'll have a coup, all that talk, but it's not working. And he could get, he could get down to the, the low thirties where Bush was when he left W. And so I, I think there'll be an intervention and people will say, you know, you can't. And then they'll have some kind of a consortium to work around Kamala Harris, maybe to help her through the last two or three years, but, or bring in Michelle Obama. I don't know, but I'm worried because no one wants to see the country so vulnerable and it's very vulnerable. Now this whole reminds me of the Pearl Harbor attack when Japan said to themselves, the United States is rearming. They've got the Carl Vincent acts. They're going to have a new fleet. The Germans are right outside of Moscow. We're never going to have an opportunity. When they look at the internal dissension here, lack of deterrence after Afghanistan, the Biden cognitive problems, they think this is a golden moment. And they might not, they might, and I don't think they'll have one like it again, because I do think we're going to recover in three or four years. But I'm really worried getting through the next year. China and Russia, maybe with North Korea and Iran, saying America's at its weakest. Um, yeah, I it's hit now we're not going to have this opportunity again. That's really my biggest worry, um, even bigger than the other things, because that could be uh, that could be a, a, a world war with cataclysmic effects on us. The concerns Victor outlined are aggravated by the astonishing performance of the visible leaders of the armed forces. I mean, every time you see, or anyway, every time I see the Joint Chiefs of Staff, I I wonder just how impressed the Chinese and the Russians are with him. A man who appears to have spent an inordinate amount of time with Bob Woodward, and and uh, and reads, uh, you know, sanctions at least the whole CRT thing. Uh, it, it's it's a it's a perfect storm of bad things. But uh, Bill, in your informal random canvas of people, it, it was every single one of them negative about the administration. Uh, yeah, though mixed. Some some were, you know, prepared to give him a C. Most would be given an F. See, my my guess is that the same elders of the Democratic Party, who, uh, Clyburn and these others, who basically uh, put you know pulled Joe Biden out of the ditch where he was, eleven percent in fifth place in New Hampshire, and installed him as the candidate. Uh, that that they will say, look, this is this is the last train leaving the station, Joe. You can retire now. And everyone will make allowance for your unfortunately deteriorating condition. But if, if you hang in there, you are going to be, for all history, a calamity to this country. And and uh, but I, I on the Harris thing, I, I, they're stuck with her. I mean, they can't do what was done to Spiro Agnew, as far as I know, and and bring in someone else. But but uh, a different party, of course, different people. But they're stuck with her. And I guess Bill, your formulation is the right one. They'll they'll try and get a a group of solid helpers around her to at least produce a believable government. That was Victor's point, but I, I have to ask Victor, you mentioned Michelle Obama. Bring Michelle Obama in as what? I don't know, as a senior advisor or mentor to Camilla or chief of staff of the vice, something like that to prepare her for a 2024 run. Uh, you're right, you know, Conrad. If, Conrad okay. you, you know American history better than I do, and it's very hard, A, to get rid of a president that doesn't want to go, even if like he's Woodrow Wilson, he can't even get out of bed. And it's almost impossible to drop a vice president unless he's indicted in the middle of a term. I mean, Roosevelt got rid of John Nance Gardner, but it was after it was in that inner regular. He got rid of Wallace, too. Yeah, he did. And but there was but they they allowed them to finish out their term. And I don't think you can you can get rid of a vice president. It's very hard to get rid of. Well, the only other one who resigned apart from Agnew was John C. Calhoun. And he resigned. Yeah. <laughs> he did. But, OK, but but the, the Democrats, you know, they're prepared to do away with the filibuster, uh, try to write a federal voting rights act. Maybe they'll mess with the, con- the uh, constitutional order of succession. Or is that yeah. beyond their reach? Uh, and I don't know. They might try anything. You know, you don't do that overnight, as you know, Bill. That's a yeah, very no, right, right. Yeah, I think the only thing that's stopping them, I mean, they couldn't get rid of the filibuster with, but the idea that a vice president intervenes into a Senate protocol to get rid of it, and then they do it with on a 50-50 deadlock, and then they're going to be in the minority, I think, and they will sorely miss the filibuster in a year. So I, I think that's off the table, but not the national voter compact getting around the electoral college by the state legislature's votes to honor the national vote. They're still talking about 
the nine-person court. But all of these issues that they were so bold about, the National Voting Act, they all are predicated on 50% approval of Joe Biden when he's down to 40. And if you look at those real clear uh, politics aggregate, they're really propped up by things that are ridiculous, like Reuters, it has him up two points ahead in approval. Yeah. But if but you actually look look at the polls that were the most accurate, he's down there below 40%. I think that's right. He's in the 30s and uh, he's 13 points underwater. Yeah. The, uh, Victor, you said something I may disagree with, which is about the three or four years before things get better. It seems to me um, things things are beginning to get better right away because of the response of the American people. I was thinking when you talked about untruths of, it's Václav Havel, I think, who said that we all knew the lie, right? That the communism was, everyone knew it, but few could say it. Uh, now people are saying it. Uh, you know, the emperor's been exposed. Uh, one other candidate for, you know, worst thing 2021 was, uh, or most interesting event of 2021, was the reaction of parents uh, to schools and school boards. Loudoun County is kind of ground zero, but hell no, we're not going to take it anymore. There's a kind of hell no, we're not going to take it anymore attitude out there now, isn't there, about, about school boards and, and the teachers' unions and the public schools. For one, about believing the government on on the, on, on omicron and uh, and covid uh about uh the border about everything else i mean the, the juices are kicking in aren't they the reformist juices they, they are but the self-renewal they are and i think not all of these problems were joe biden's creation some of them are long-term and uh-huh. uh what i meant by that was we have 30 trillion almost in aggregate debt. And we've got yeah. now a seven, I think it's probably more like nine or 10% annual inflation. And we know from all of us were alive during the Paul Volcker years, there, you can talk about any way you want, but ultimately you got to raise interest rates. And when you raise interest rates and these home mortgages or car loans get up there, then it's going to be a recession or a mild recession or stagflation. That's inevitable. And that's coming because we can't continue to quantitative ease and print money like we're doing. And then second, it's very hard to create deterrence and it's very easy to lose it. And it's usually we, it's regained by some act, symbolic or whatever, iconic. I think that Russia will do something, maybe not go all the way into Ukraine, but partway or Taiwan will essentially have no airspace left. Or North Korea will start sending missiles over Japan's airspace, or Iran will announce it's got a bomb. And that's going to require some act to get deterrence, and that's going to be very dangerous. And so I'm not sure how Biden and the the Democrats are going to restore deterrence or just let it deteriorate in the way that Carter sort of did during the Iran hostage situation. I don't know about the border, but when you're letting in almost 2 million people, and that's going to continue, then you're going to have another six before, if he were to finish the term, you're going to have seven or eight million people here undocumented yeah. on top of the 20 million. And so you've got 50 million who were not born in the United States. Some are legal residents, but you're getting up. You might have 60 or 70 million people that have not been absorbed, integrated. And that's going to and they're from impoverished countries. It's going to be enormous tax uh, our social services are taxed as it is. And then on crime, what would you if you've got good DAs right now and got rid of the LADA, the Chicago DA, and they went back to a deterrent and started charging these criminals, and then you had uh, the prison system locking people up, what would be the reaction of the left, and how long would it take to restore a sense of, of security? When you read these stories about, I had a friend that wanted New Year's Eve to go down to Los Angeles, and he said, well, it's you know, people were very worried about going into Los Angeles in areas like Westwood and Beverly Hills. I'm talking about South Central. So that's going to, what I'm saying is for the left or for a lot of people, the medicine is worse than the disease. Yes, you, we know how to stop crime. It's like stopping inflation. It's pretty tough stuff. You got to convict people. You got to give them tough sentences. You got to incarcerate them. And then you get into the same questions that we had prior to what that certain demographics are inordinately locked up. And I don't see, I don't see, I don't see a solution to that until somebody says, this is a problem that we all have and we all have to, according to our station, deal with it, but that we haven't got there yet. So I I don't know what's going to happen. We've got a number of these problems, all the ones that have been mentioned that in previous administrations would cause the president 
to address the country specifically on that issue and call for a national consensus to deal with the problem. And, and uh, there is no evidence that I can see that anyone in the administration recognizes the gravity of any of these problems. And there is no evidence that the president, even if he was well rehearsed for it, had a well-written speech, uh, has the moral authority to actually bring the country behind him. And we are all old enough to remember five or six or eight presidents who we remember on important occasions addressing the country very effectively, uh, and regardless of party. It's a matter above party at that point. And I, none of those elements are in place now. On the other hand, if we can just fumble and, and sleepwalk our way through the next three years, I think we will get a very good administration with a strong mandate to clean things up. But uh, look, I, on, the, on the nuclear war thing, I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I, I think you could get a provocation, and I, I think there's a chance that the, the, this administration would respond to it effectively. Uh, look, on, on inflation, as you said, Victor. Can I interrupt I, there? Just, can of I course. There? Just, just you guys tell me this then. One of the reasons I think we need to be careful about Ukraine and South Korea and, uh, and Hong Kong, et cetera, is um, we're vulnerable. And we're vulnerable partly because of this administration, largely because of this administration. But also, you know, we don't we don't have missile defense. Uh, China's got great capability. I, I realize I'm escalating here. But again, if they're going to seize the moment, um, I, I, do they want nuclear war? I, I, I doubt that they do. But are they going to find a better moment, a more opportune moment? If they actually what? try to invade Taiwan, they have to send 500,000 men across the Formosa Straits. They'd be sitting ducks. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't be hard to reposition a lot of airplanes in in Taiwan and assist the Taiwanese Air Force. And, in, in, uh, you know, as Mr. Churchill said, we're all awaiting, uh, you know, the long promised invasion and so are the fish. I mean, you could you'd, you could drown them all. It's a terribly difficult undertaking. I mean, Eisenhower had a quarter of the uh, a, a distance of blue water to get his forces through, and he had absolute superiority on the on the water and in the air. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, invading Taiwan is not going to be like falling off a log, even with this administration. The I other thing I'd say very quickly, if I could, is that th- th- it's now traditional to raise interest rates to fight inflation. And for the first for several points of, of rise in interest rates, each point is half a point increase in inflation. There are other ways to fight it, but uh, I don't see any sign that either the Treasury or the Federal Reserve has the imagination for it. I don't. And I don't think they're going to invade. What I meant was they're going to do a Hong Kong paradigm, and that is they're gradually, each month, they they got only 17 countries in the world now recognize Taiwan. We're down to 17. And they're going to continue to pressure other countries. They're going to continue to pressure Taiwanese business people. They're going to continue to get in their air and sea space, just like they did with Hong Kong. They're going to infiltrate uh, the financial system within Taiwan, buy people off. They're going to neutralize it. They're going to do what this minister said today, that the United States is going to pay a terrible price, threaten, threaten, cajole. And it's just sort of they're hoping at some point the Taiwanese say, okay, we can't take it any longer. And it could be stopped. And we don't have a leader and we don't have a consensus. I'm not sure that uh, the public wants us to say that's going to stop. You cannot violate the sovereignty in any fashion of Taiwan because we're not up to that right now. We're not. We're just not capable under this leadership of galvanizing public opinion to support that. And the military is not capable. We don't have a general, Conrad, that goes into Biden and says, if you want to stop this, here's the plan and we can stop it. It might be dangerous, but we have alternative. They don't think that way. They're interested in other issues. And so, Is there no chance Austin does? I mean, sometimes he, he sounds like he does. I mean, I don't know anything about him. Well, I think he's part of that bipartisan. That's better than, than nothing, the bipartisan foreign policy establishment. And he's part of that. So that's helpful. But I just don't think that he feels it's on when he looks at his agenda. I think he has other agendas. He's told, he's, you know, he said he's going to look at white rage, white supremacy, go through the ranks, yeah. make sure there's not domestic terrorism. We're going to look at uh, yeah, transgendered, gay, diversity, equity, inclusion issues. And they're not looking. And you, you talk to these uh, part of the reason I've got all these emails that people write and I call. And, and when you talk to people in the military, they're the more, most demoralized I've ever seen them. And they feel that up to the level of major, 
there's no place for them in this vaccination. I don't think it's true, but they feel the vaccination mandate is targeted at a particular type of soldier and they want them out and they don't know how to get them out. But by saying you have to be vaccinated, that will do the trick without saying that we suspect you of being a deplorable or an irredeemable. Let's stipulate these generals, uh, Secretary of Defense, and all are, are uh, more into political correctness and being woke than anything else. You get a paper on the desk about the invasion of Taiwan or takeover of Hong Kong or uh, uh, one of these other things that we, we've talked about. Surely, surely this would wake up somebody in command uh, and, and, and they would pay attention to it. I, I, I think... Uh, my God, if it wouldn't, I mean, if they'd say, never mind, let's continue with our, our gender. But Bill, you know, if I can interrupt you, how many, how many people were fired for the greatest humiliation in 50 years after Afghanistan? Right. Well, but, but, it was an exceptional success, according to the commander in chief. Then again, I think you're making my case. Why, why the resistance uh, to my idea that the Chinese would see this as a great moment to attack us? Why not? I think they think they're winning right now and they want to press up. They want to continue with the current strategy of winning because they think it's going to bear even greater fruits and that a nuclear or a dramatic would upset that trajectory. They don't think they have to do that. And they think that, you know, that we're very vulnerable and they're going to step up the commercial war, the propaganda war, the thing on Taiwan. They're going to, you know, bulk up Iran, North Korea, Russia. Uh, pressure Japan, and they think that that's all going to create a consensus that they're the future. And yeah. the, they do this at no cost without having to pay any price. If they attacked us, they would yeah. pay some price. In their way of thinking, they have a big foothold in Hollywood, professional sports, corporate America, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and they feel they can already dictate to Hollywood what kind of movies will be permissible to be filmed, that they own them okay. in okay. the so NBA. They're winning. They're winning. They're winning. Okay. I think they are winning. It, it, gentlemen, it All is right, up but, to but me. Let, me. let me just ask a, a last mm-hmm. hypothetical. But if uh, on these listless uh, generals and so on, if the paper came across saying missiles are heading toward Washington, D.C. And, and New York, surely they'd respond to that with something more than we've seen on Afghanistan. Yes. But I'll, I'll concede the point that you know, why take the risk of losing Beijing in an exchange, who knows who wins that war uh, when they're when they're progressing so nicely on all these other fronts. Well, the, 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 the U.S. has more than ten times the nuclear warhead throw weight of the Chinese. I, I, I mean, that's a, a kind of an esoteric question. I, I don't think any of okay. these countries are going to get into that kind of war. But they, I, I, I just cite to you, and it's ironic that I, as the non-American, would do this. American public opinion is getting very impatient with concession right. to China. I mean, all these yeah. polls show that the, the American public perception of China has moved, and I, I don't want to be tendentious here, but has moved rather the way the British perception of Germany did in the late 30s. I mean, Chamberlain didn't want to go to war. His MP said, look, my constituents are saying we can't stand this anymore. We got to we got to fight or they're, they're going to overrun everything. Uh, it was pushed into it. And then he was pushed right out in a way you can't do in the, in the congressional system. But, uh, but, and, and they had a Churchill waiting to, to, to come in. Uh, it, but these, even these Democrats, other than the, the, the so-called progressive ones, and with, with all their gains, they're only about, a, I think, a third of the uh, Democratic caucus in, in the House of Representatives, uh, even, even uh, they will respond to their constituents telling them in big numbers that the United States can't be treated like this. And I think we have to rely on the, uh, it's just what you said the last session we had, Victor, the, uh, the other side uh, has Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, big sport, the academy, all of the media, or almost all of it, and but they don't have the people, and they the don't. End, they don't. The, the, it's still a democracy. Yeah, and that's ironic, Conrad, because almost on cue, uh, four weeks ago, when the polls got the lowest for Biden and the outlook the bleakest in the midterms, then they started this progressive media fusion. They started coming out with op-eds and articles that democracy would die in 2022 and certainly be destroyed by 2024. And that was really, the subtext of that was democracy is working too well and the people don't like us anymore. And we've got, we don't like the system anymore. They had just told us it was resilient and it was a wonderful system that got rid of Trump. And the system worked, and all of a sudden, 11 months later, it's failed, and they have no confidence because Trump has destroyed it. 
and it shows you that they don't trust the people themselves. And I th- I find it hilarious to see my friend George Will and Peggy Noon and others. You know, the penny has sort of dropped that uh, the, the the Trump haters are responsible uh, not only for putting Trump out and, and with, in my opinion, probably a help from the changed electoral or vote counting rules, but but uh, but they're ultimately responsible for putting in an incumbent administration against which the backlash is going to bring either Trump or a candidate supporting his policies back into office. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think they've ensured that they'll never return to influence and power within because of the Biden disaster. And, and I don't think the Republican Party is going to go back to that of John McCain and Mitt Romney. And, well, they were surprised. Huh? Maybe and, uh, on this on this foreign affairs in China thing, I, I, not to be disagreeable again, but I, I wonder. I mean, part of the part of the cost of the, all the miseries at home is I I don't hear much from people about worries and, and anger about China. I don't see a lot of Britain Germany uh, anger out there. Uh, people are very much taken with what's happening in the U.S. and very distressed about that. And that's understandable given given all the the rack uh, given the rack we've been put on on, on so many fronts but I, I don't I don't hear much about China uh, maybe I'm no, you, you mean from the Europeans no from us from our oh, I think that the, the polls show it bill I mean the, the people are moving silently I mean, you see these polls and they've flipped completely from something like only 30 percent believing China was a threat a year ago it's 67 percent now yeah but it's not strong I mean I don't I, I don't think it's up kind of provocations you guys have been talking about it'll get very strong very quickly yeah, okay I, I think your point bill is that if asked they don't trust china at all but that's not the chief concern in, in 10 issues they don't pull that and i think it's kind of like the depression in 1939-40 americans knew something was up in europe and they had to do something but they were so worried about the second yeah. depression of 38 37 39 okay. that they they didn't want to think about it. And I remember I'm reading my grandfather's diary he was a farmer out here and they were so worried about crashing uh, farm prices. And, and even though the war gave them a, a respite, but they just didn't want to think about it. And I think once Pearl Harbor happened, you couldn't find anybody the day before who was against going to war. Uh, so I think. We're, when you talk to people, they're so worried. I know out here, when you go to the service station, the big conversation is some guy pulls up, everybody in a pickup truck, 25 gallons, and they can't fill it up at $5 a gallon. Or they look at what's happening in Fresno and Stockton. The crime is just unbearable. It's just every night somebody's being shot, somebody's being carjacked, somebody's smash and grab. And that's what they're talking about. Or they're talking about secretly people are being bussed into communities from the border and dumped. And we have a, a very high case of hit and run, drunk driving, leaving the scene of the accident. And these are not white suburbanites from, you know, Walnut Creek. They're saying this. These are mostly Mexican-American middle-class people. And it's no surprise why they have given up on the Democratic Party, at least half of them over, I think about 90% of them over 50 have. Okay, I want to ask about the Republican Party in a minute. But first, any any good news in 2021? Any encouraging news? Apart from the people get aggressive in the way that they should be? I got a candidate. The uh, <laughs> My faith in the jury system, the, you know, the, the, the much maligned by you, Conrad, and others, myself included, American system of justice, criminal justice, looked pretty good this year uh, when a lot of opinion, uh, so-called informed opinion, was going one way. Jurors kind of stuck to the facts. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm thinking of Rittenhouse, thinking of the Georgia trial. I'm thinking of uh, this latest thing with, with Maxwell. I'm thinking of, uh, what's his name, Jesse Smollett. Smollett, uh, yeah. You know, like Bill, Mike complaints of the American justice system uh, are not on their ability to get convictions other than on this latest freak <laughs> phenomenon of George Soros's, uh, you know, release the criminal yeah, press yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, district attorneys. But uh, uh, but, but it's, so that, the Rittenhouse one, I thought, was really uplifting. This was encouraging. And it's, it's more than the jury system. It's sort of the, the irreducible common sense of the American people. Yeah, 95% per of tr- criminal cases are not tried. They're settled without a trial. Yeah. And it's yeah. a plea bargain. I mean, and you don't get that in other advanced countries. It's the, 
you have this perverse problem of an overpowerful prosecutocracy where they, uh, you know, they, there's nothing stopping them from what they frequently do of suborning or extorting evidence. And, and yet it's being undermined by these ridiculous, uh, let everyone go free prosecutors. So you're getting it coming and coming. All I'm saying is these verdicts, these highly publicized cases with these verdicts were a very positive tonic, it seems to me. And, um, and the fact that Smollett, the, the prosecution was, was reversed when they tried to kill the case after allegedly the intervention of uh, a victor's candidate, Mrs. Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, let me get some perspective from uh, you guys on the Republican Party. Given the reaction of the American people, which I think is encouraging, I think we all think is encouraging, uh, and that will, you know, take root and, and grow in the next years, the timing of which we may have disagreement about, but that's okay. Uh, is the Republican Party the right, uh, doing the right things as the vessel of uh, reaction? Uh, is it is it is it posturing itself, presenting itself on the right issues, and taking the right stands overall? Would you say? I think it's going in the right direction, but I think they need to have some coherence. I know it's too early, but one of the things they might think of is a you know a contract with America to, and go through these ten or twelve issues that Biden uh-huh. has fa- failed so miserably. And actually tell the American people what they would do in the first 90 days if they took back the Congress. Not that they could do much because they'd have to have two thirds in the Senate or 60 votes in the Senate. But something like that to give the coherence, because now, whether we like it or not, the Trump agenda is a Republican agenda. And because it worked and because Biden's complete rejection of it. uh, Kind of confirmed that it did work. And then you look at the never Trumpers. I've been. I just went, I haven't, I haven't read them, but I read it, went on the bulwark, the dispatch and a lot yeah. of these never Trump organs. And I was really surprised. Atlantic David Fum has an essay, the, the Russian yeah. hoax hoax. And it's really the most poorly argued thing I've ever seen. He's a very bright guy, but yes. they don't seem to have an argument. Uh, they don't say this is what we should do. We, we can't be punitive with China or we need to, we, we need more immigrants, but legal or something. They can't go back to that. And I don't think that capital gains, tax cuts or privatizing Social Security or more optional wars in the Middle East, that's not going to happen. I've gotten the a priori argument from these guys. A lot of them, a lot of never Trumpers, uh, former friends of uh, mine. I thinned out my Rolodex a lot. Um, and and the argument is Biden's a great disappointment. But of course, we all know we can never go back to Trump. Is yeah, that what but they, the, that they, can't, they will not be able to hold those barricades. That's why George Will is advising them to raise their game or we will get Trump back, he says, which to him is, of course, yeah. frightful evil. But uh, but yeah. I, I mean, on, on, on Victor's point, the, the never Trumpers, as it turns out, basically seem to include people like McConnell. I mean, they all let let things show right after the election. And and they clearly believe that Trump was just like some dreadful meteor that came roaring past. But he's gone. Thank heavens he's gone. And that's the end of it. It never occurred to him that he hadn't gone. And in fact, he has not. And I think that's where your division is. Uh, But it's, it's up to Trump to be reasonably receptive to those who have a sincere grace of reconversion but it's, it's up to those in the republican oh. party who've always been knifing him in the back to stop doing that i think he's got to speak softly and carry a bigger stick and get even rather than get mad and that by that i mean have a, a really tough agenda that either he or an emissary finalizes and and not get into these cul-de-sac tweets and all that you know and stop talking about 2000 20 except 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 in the idea that there were abuses in this of the state legislatures and the 102 million early and and mail balling and we've got to correct that but don't go back and say i won and this and this and this and And then if he does vote i mean that's really ridiculous i agree and he's still his own worst enemy but only about 20 percent of the time instead of half the time but it was before well he's getting better i don't don't know how much better i don't know how much better i mean uh, the, the election stuff i I hear from former uh, cabinet people, uh, you know, calls from him and saying, good job and appreciate it. But boy, why didn't you bring up the election? Why didn't you bring up the election? Just obsessively. Yeah. I, mean, well, look, I think on, he had the to attack do that. on, on Bibi Netanyahu. What the hell was that for? No, it was unnecessary. 
you know, to so on. So I mean, I, you know, so, speak softly. Nice, nice idea, but this is this is like, excuse me, Victor. This is like the people who write me and say, "Can you, you get him to stop tweeting?" You know. Well, we Why did doesn't that, he, but we should have fired Fauci and Comey far earlier. I know that's easy to uh, say, but yeah, there was a tendency that actually for all the demonization of Trump, he was not nearly as ruthless as people like George H.W. Bush no, or Bill Clinton. Uh, no, he he absolutely. didn't he did he wasn't vindictive. He didn't go after people. He didn't fire the people he should. He took but yeah, he, no, he so. suffered that wage because he was so boisterous. But if he had just kept quiet. And then yeah. qu- silently smiled, put his arm around Fauci, great public servant. I'm really sad, and he's going to retire tomorrow morning. Or Comey was a great guy, wonderful FBI, but we need to give him a break. But he did, instead, he kept him on and then demonized him. So yeah. I, I, that's not a good combination. I, the big thing, uh, question I have for both of you is uh, the, everybody talks about DeSantis as the person with the Trump agenda who's tough and fights but doesn't have the drawbacks on the personality side. And I'm just wondering, how do you reconcile those two? Because I do think Trump's going to run. And I don't, I don't see a way to massage that. They're both in the same state. And uh, it's, it's, I don't know how that's going to work out in the next year. I, I think it's like Roosevelt in 1940. Uh, he, he wouldn't say whether he would seek a third yeah. term. No serious person would run until they yeah. heard from him. So he yeah. held it right to the convention. Well, uh, DeSantis, in my opinion, is not going to run until Trump has been heard from. And if, they, if, it was, if there was a straight-on contest between them, uh, DeSantis would, I suppose, carry Florida, but he would not carry the country. He would lose. That Netanyahu thing was, as I understood it, Netanyahu claiming that Trump had approved the immediate Israeli annexation of all the settlements, which he hadn't approved. So it was a legitimate issue. It wasn't just Trump being, uh, you know, obnoxious and testy and... and uh, no, no, over- but it was unwise <laughs> to give an interview to a far-left Israeli journalist that gotcha. That was... What did he think would yeah. be that was just one remark yeah, out but of the why did he have Woodward in the White House? I mean, he same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same. It's his. He has this illusion that he can his charisma or his cunning can can win over these people or outsmart them, and he doesn't understand that they're hardcore ideologues. And when they can smile and compliment you and say you're wonderful, and then go right out and say you're you know satanic, we all know that. But he keeps keeps testing them and, and he always loses when he does it well i think there's a part of the base that's absolutely with trump but i think that it would be closer now the sanus and trump than than you suggest conrad i th- I, I know a lot of trump supporters people supported trump and were you know criticized for it uh like myself a lot, a lot of people who say uh yeah very grateful for what he did and it was a great presidency in a lot of ways but i hope he doesn't run we don't need to go through all that again. I think no, there, there's a lot of that sentiment. I, I mean, look, the uh, um, it, it, it's it's an e, it, it's a we all are somewhat prisoners of our hopes, and and I think a huge number of people would like all of the good part of Trump and not the bad part. But the the problem yeah, sure. it's not a salad; it's a cocktail. You know, you have yeah, to take yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> I think a lot of it is too. Don't you think a lot of it is? Uh, a lot of it is not just Trump's uh, bad versus good, but there's a lot of people who are kind of worn out and they feel that the left is very yeah. weak, weak right now and yeah. demoralized and they would rally. They would be demoralized if it was another candidate. But with Trump, they'll get a lot of Zuckerberg type of big infusions like they did in 2020. They'll all of yeah. a sudden get yeah. galvanized and it, and it won't be about their record. It'll be about yeah, sure, Trump's sure. tweets. No, on the other hand, Trump is not a mealy mouth compromiser. I mean, I think there's a no counter, Victor, that that says, "Look, it takes a guy from the outside, a total outsider, absolutely." No, you're right to really attack this rotten system. And and you know they're not wrong. I mean, they and you can see that you're right, Conrad, because that's what DeSantis is trying to do now. He's trying to more than anybody be you know we're going to send illegal aliens up to new you know up to delaware if we have to and that kind of stuff but you're right uh pump is chemotherapy and it's designed to be pretty toxic to the to the patient as well as before to kill cancer so a lot of people feel well he's our bulldog and we cut him loose and he just point him in the right direction and nobody will fight for us like that and there's a lot of truth to that he he has to 
feign the rage but, about about the election rigging. Yeah. Uh, not not that he won the majority of the votes or anything like that, but you know, just how, how bad it was. Because otherwise, you're sliding back, you're backing into legitimization of this. Okay. But it's not a salad, it's a cocktail. I mean, I'm sorry, you know, you might as well wish for the moon. He's, he's not going to give it up. He's not going to speak more softly, Victor. He's not. He's just not. Well, it's you not, know, Bill, he phones not me. not who he is. I don't want to exaggerate. And, and I thought, let me just say one last thing. When, when you were saying that people are weary, Victor, uh, part of what a lot of people are weary of was, you know, the vigorous defending of Donald Trump for four years. A lot of people don't want to go through that again. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the After biggest January gift. January 6th, particularly, you know. The, the greatest gift he's had was being barred from Facebook and Twitter. And what he says it himself. I know. Yeah. It was. I took, I, I took credit for it. I told you I have a I have a, I have a, I have a relative who keeps saying, can you get him off Twitter? I, I said, I got him off. What do you think? Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart well, that guy that I am. Two last things I'd like to bring up. I was just kind of knocked over by Rachel Walensky, CDC director, the other day saying, well, we're dropping it from 10 to 5 the days of quarantine uh, because it's not it's because it's what we think people can bear or people ought to bear. We don't want to close down businesses. Well, A, that's not science. B, where was that argument 18 months ago? Well, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. 18 months ago, shutting down the economy had political yeah. utility, and now yeah. Yeah. it's it's dangerous. So they're basically saying, if we shut down the economy like we did last time, yeah. uh, we're not going to but the, have but an economy lie, that... Right? Yeah, it does. And also, this shows a lie that the, he got Biden keeps talking about mass, mass, mass vaccinations, vaccinations, when he should be saying you're going to get Omicron. There's a good chance you're going to get Omicron. But if you're vaccinated, you have a, a higher percentage, not a perfect percentage of not oh, getting yeah. very sick. Yeah. But he doesn't do that. So his whole program was to steal everything Trump gave him. And he did the quarantine, the lockdown, the vaccinations, rebranded as his own and glide to the end of COVID. He never in his right mind ever dreamed that we would have Delta or Omicron. And then he made all these crazy statements in his hubris, you know, any president that 270,000 people have died should resign and more people have died now on his watch or I'm not going to end the shutdown. Uh, I'm not going to have the lockdowns. I'm going to end the buy. All that braggadocio was all predicated on Trump had basically given him a paradigm and he thought would work. And he had no expectation of these two mutants. His whole program. Yeah. In, in every field has been do the opposite of Trump, and when it yeah. fails completely as it has, to blame Trump. Well, it yeah. won't. That won't fly. The country will no. not buy that. And by the not way, I thought that, but uh, we, we face a winter of death with Omicron. If the man had any brains at all, he'd realize it's it, it's, it's a godsend. I mean, it, it, this Omicron is the best thing that's ever happened to the anti-COVID battle because well, it's like a, it's a booster it shot. You mean other variants, and it's not dangerous. So fewer than ten fatalities yeah. in the whole United States with Omicron. That's but a good yeah. point. You know, I looked at the deaths in California. The caseload is pretty high. It's back up to forty thousand a day. Right. But you look at the deaths, and it's still about sixty a day. It's about what it was during the low point. So we have yeah. more cases. But no, but and the comorbidities, I bet most of those deaths are either from the Delta variant, which is 30 percent still, or it's from people who are very, very sick. So I guess what you're saying, Conrad, it's sort of like a booster shot for people who don't want to get vaccinated. Yeah, I and mean, some well, people the, say that, you know, some people say, yeah, well, but, I'm going to go contract Omicron and then then I don't have to bother with the vaccine. No, this, I think the wise thing to do is vaccine yourself, you know, take the booster. And take another booster if that's what's recommended, but but uh, the fact is Omicron is building up everyone's antibodies and it's it's crowding out the other variants, as I understand. Yeah, yeah it is seventy yeah, percent. Yeah, you know, it's not just the Walensky thing and these other matters, but it's just the confusion, the the message. I mean, it, you know, uh, today I read, I said to my wife, "My gosh, we're we're great luck." The New York Times has blessed us. It said that uh, two J and J shots, which we've had, uh, plus having had COVID, and we're home free. Mm -hmm. Well, but that was that's today. Yesterday, yeah. that wasn't the case. Yeah, and Tuesday, it was Pfizer. You know, 
It's very hard. Uh, and then, you know, it's very, this is the first epidemic you read about when there's been no attention to treatment. I know we have these two antiviral drugs, right. but you can take about five off-label drugs and go on the internet. Within two hours, you can find double-blind studies that say yeah. higher levels of zinc, higher levels of vitamin D, quercetin right. is, is a prophylactic. There is some right. utility early of hydroxychloroquine, even things like uh, cysteine or azelstein antihistamine. So there's all these drugs that people have been using. Pepsid even has some utility if used early, but we don't talk about that. The president never says, if you yeah. get COVID, we have a paradigm here of drugs that have, you know, unproven, but well, some utility and they're not dangerous. And we, we, but it's all mask or vaccination or nothing. And that was really, we've never done that yeah. before. We got through AIDS without the vaccination. Yeah. Only listen to us, though. I mean, that's part of the program, right? We're the only ones you can trust. Listen to us and we will take care of you. Yeah. Um, you see, yeah. I, I, think, I think Dr. Walensky is on because she is, I must say, an absolutely charming person on television. And, and I, I think people, I think Fauci is almost a hate figure now. Uh, because it, it, he's, he's been so inconsistent and, and so imperious. And uh, and the, the you know the other guy Collins is completely impossible. He couldn't sell a, a you know starving man a hot meal. Uh, but Dr. Walensky, I, I have to say, I think she's an extremely charming person, and mm-hmm. and I th- I think she's being used as just trying to keep the credibility of the public health administration emergency uh, establishment afloat and keep it buoyant. Because the others lost their world. It's lost on me, but that's what makes the world go round. No, but the way she talks is Okay. Uh, One last thing. (laughs) Don't get me started, as we say. One last thing. Uh, You know, I'm I'm inside this world, but what significance do you attach to this whole Loudoun County thing, parents, school boards, the intransigence of the unions? Uh, let, Let me just ask a parochial question here. Uh, I've been waiting 50 years for this to happen. You see a big pivot occurring for American education, uh, you know, or will this just subside and everybody will be happy again with their public schools? CRT, you know, is, is critical race theory is the tip of the iceberg. Yes. There's all sorts of stuff. I'm close enough to Loudoun County. I've talked to a few people there. A lot of people know people there. The thing they're really upset about the parents was the rape in the girls' room with the, with the boy who was wearing a skirt. Well, that was uh, an But, I mean, they can't, you know, they, p- people are less comfortable talking about that one because of the accusation of being transphobic. Uh, may, may even have more potency than the accusation of being racist now. I'm not, I'm not sure. But um, uh, how powerful is that? How important is this, this whole thing of parents versus school systems? I think it's very powerful, but I think, it's also within the teachers themselves. You know, when you talk to a lot of teachers, they will admit to you that why should they have the last two years zoomed in or not taught and being paid when that policy made a lot of uh, poor people have to stay home as to watch their kids at home and couldn't work or put other people, delivery truck drivers, retail clerks, put them in danger. And what was so what was so you know annoyed about the teachers unions given that the chances of them getting COVID from young kids was less than people that were delivering you know yeah. flowers or selling uh, food yeah. Yeah. teachers themselves are a little embarrassed and they're angry and I think it's kind of going to be insidious that from now on the teachers are going to the teachers unions are going to have more internal pushback than they've ever had because i think people are tired of them they don't like to be lectured by them and they're kind of ashamed i talk a lot of young i have a a lot of teachers in my family it's kind of a joke that they got paid and everybody was out because of that from the parents or they were having zoom classes and the parents were yelling at them why are my kids here why can't i go to work so i think they've really taken a hit in the public mind i I, look i'm better but i i think it must be very widespread you had uh, uh, faith schools and charter schools growing anyway. But to me, the tip-off of just how bad things had, had become was when uh, McAuliffe brought in that horrifying woman, Winder, <laughs> the head of the teachers' union, or one of them, yeah. who, uh, you know, to, as a sort of clincher for his campaign. And, yeah. uh, you know, 
I think I think there's a you've got a number of things going on here. Uh, Americans' position in, in terms of the level of competence of their secondary school graduates is not very competitive with a lot of other advanced countries, and and people no, are that. And and but this idea, of what Victor said of the teachers taking two years off uh, for no good reason, uh, and the, the way in which they've used many times all around the country uh, this blackmail factor to go on strike in the middle of school terms has caused a huge backlash. So I think it's just accelerating. Yeah, uh, you, you, it's something I'm digging deep into this, but scores well, were the, down. Well, we have the most this when you were the secretary. Well, we have the most reliable uh, indicator of achievement in America is called the NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress. It's a great instrument. It still is. It's still it, it's still holding up. It samples students around the country in fourth grade, eighth grade. And we were going down before the year of COVID. The preliminary yeah. returns from the year of COVID is down further and God knows what happens, you know, this this year. All right, from 21 uh, and going forward. Are they going to close them down again? Uh, looks like they might, Chicago and elsewhere. And the kids are kids are suffering in so many ways. They seem to be the last ones, uh, the last ones, uh, you know, thought of. I, I, I think of a line from Hannah Arendt essay, in which she said, you know, there are certain kinds of surrender that adults are not allowed to practice in the presence of the young. And, and, and where I started this conversation, I go back to, is it does seem to me parents who did kind of surrender and surrendered their kids up to the to the schools are now saying that was a mistake. We're, we're taking it back. We're taking it back. Gentlemen, thank you. Um, wonderful opportunities this year to talk with you. The audience loves it. We hope we will have many more in, in the year in the year and years to come. Um, you're two brilliant men. Always listening to. I learn a ton. The audience learns a ton. Thank you you're very much. You're a star, Bill. You're the convener and you're a star. That does it for today's show. Want to join the discussion? Email this show at scholarsandsensepodcast at gmail.com. Share the show with your family and friends. Subscribe, rate, review. For Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen, I am Bill Bennett, and we'll talk again soon.